When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Hello, Peter Laws here. Before we get started on tonight's creepy episode, I've got some cool news. If you want to get ad-free episodes of Frightful, then perhaps you might like to check out my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash peterlaws. It's a fantastic way to support the show while also getting a bunch of cool extras, including ad-free episodes of a second show I'll be hosting from next month called Hometown History Europe. There'll be bonus content and physical goodies sent through the post, and you can cancel at any time. It'd be amazing to connect with you on this uh, frightful journey and to have you on board. No pressure, but if you want to check out what's available, just visit patreon.com forward slash Laws. Thank you for your support. disappear every day, particularly in built-up urban areas like big cities. And these cases can usually be explained with depressing and mundane reasons. Runaways, murders, kidnapping. But there are some missing person cases which defy natural explanation, particularly when multiple people vanish at the same time. That's what appears to have happened in the winter of 1930 at Lake Anjakuni where an entire village of 25 to 30 people simply vanished. What happened to them? And how do we make sense of the bizarre mystery that developed around this incident? I'm Peter Laws, and tonight on Frightful, we will brave the harsh Arctic wind of a lonely, eerie landscape to search for the village that vanished. Close your eyes. Close your eyes and picture a map. And in your mind's eye, look toward the largest and northernmost territory of Canada. They call it Nunavut, and it's one of the most sparsely populated regions on Earth, covered in icy wasteland. Now, zoom in even closer and you will see within that territory a place called the Kivalek region, which offers stunning Arctic landscapes with thousands of polar bears and millions of caribou rolling hills filling the horizon. But finally, I want you to push your mind's eye closer still so that you might focus on one particular estuary in that region. They call it Anjakuni Lake. 
and the ice-cold water is filled with trout and pike, but the air is filled with silence. And it's this silence that prompts our case tonight, because it wasn't always so quiet around there. The mystery begins in the winter of 1930, and it is night time. A man and his sons are staggering home through the snow-whipped wind, and the father is Armand Laurent, and they are trappers who have been out hunting and trapping wild animals for food, but also for their fur and to keep warm. That's especially important in the frozen wastes around here. They're probably carrying the spoils of the day over their backs and will soon be back at their cabin where they can light a fire and get some food. The cabin is about a mile away. But before they reach it, they will become part of a frightening mystery. And it starts with a strange light. A bizarre glow in the night that lights up the trail around them. And the white snow looks suddenly orange now. Yet there is no fire nearby and the sun is far from rising. So they scan the skies for a source, and they see it. It's about 20 miles to the north. What is that? A bright light is hovering in the sky, blocking out the stars, and it's shaped like a cigar or a cylinder. The father and son share a luck of bafflement, which turns soon to fear, because this massive light is starting to shift, to drift, to move with deliberation as it's seen them. Scared and confused, they race down the trail, running through the cold and cutting jagged lines through this weird glowing orange snow. And they do not look back or stop until they reach their log cabin. And father and sons have no clue who or what is pursuing. But when they finally turn, they see that this unnatural light is actually now heading to the north in the direction of Lake Anjakuni, and then it gradually starts to fade. They hurry inside and slam the door shut behind them, bolting it and catching a much-needed breath. And though they dread it, the light does not return that night. The next morning, they get up and go about their work, skinning the animals from the night before, perhaps. And it's peaceful as they do this, because after all, they are 20 miles from the nearest town, And do they talk about the lights, or do they avoid the topic? We don't know. But then three days later, something happens that forces them to talk about it. There is a heavy knocking at the cabin door. And a voice calls out, Mr. Laurent, this is the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Can you please come out? Confused, Armand slides the bolt and opens the door to see a Mountie standing on the porch, his horse tied up at the side. What's going on? He asks. Well, the Mountie asks for directions to Lake Anjakuni and asks if Armand knows the way. And of course he does. All the trappers around here know that place. In fact, they tend to pass through Anjakuni with their work. It's where the Inuit Eskimos live. About 25 to 30 of them live up there. And Armand is curious and asks, What business do you have up at Lake Anjakuni? And the Mountie looks a little awkward and tells a bizarre story. He says, well, we've had a strange report from another trapper called Joe LaBelle. He's a good man. He's capable. He knows the area well. But he's just been up to the Inuit village at Link Anjakuni. And he says something isn't right. LaBelle says he was passing by 
when he noticed that nothing was moving in the village at all. And when he moved closer to see why, he remembered that there always is a pack of husky dogs in that village who always bark when visitors come. But this time, the closer he got, the more he noticed there was no barking at all, just silence. And then LaBelle noticed something very odd indeed. It was obviously freezing around there, as always, but there was no smoke coming from the chimneys. He did find a little fire burning at one point, but saw a cooking pot on that fire with half-eaten, now-burned food. But whoever had been eating it had just left it. He went from home to home, and each of them empty. Even the boats and the kayaks were still moored in the lake, and the people of that village had even left their weapons, their prized rifles. Why would they leave those? LaBelle, being an experienced trapper, looked for tracks going out of the settlement. Nothing. And there was no sign of a struggle in the village either. Just empty spaces where 30 men, women, and children should be. And one more thing. Apparently, LaBelle did eventually find the husky dogs in the end. But they were all dead. From exposure and starvation. Confused and disturbed by this mystery, LaBelle called up the Royal Mounties to check it out. So Armand and the sons listen to this bizarre report, and then the inevitable question comes from the policeman. The Mountie says, You fellas aren't that far from Anjakuni. Did you see anything out of the ordinary a few nights back? Armand and his sons look at each other, and then they share their experience of the strange glowing light in the sky. Hearing this, the Mountie just had to get up there to see for himself. And so I'm sure it was with a great sense of curiosity and perhaps dread that the Royal Mountie policeman eventually headed up to the village, possibly with some of his colleagues. And when he got there, he found that it was just as LaBelle had said it would be. Empty, with weapons and perfectly good food abandoned, And it's said that he even found some sewing that had been dropped with the needle still in the fabric, as if someone had left right in the middle of a stitch. But there was one more frightful detail. In his search for life, the Mountie passed the village's burial ground, and when he did, he saw something shocking. The graves looked open And when he looked closer to peer into the holes, he saw that the graves were actually empty. The bodies had been removed from all of them. Had animals, the starving dogs perhaps, ravenously dug into these graves for food? Did they drag the corpses out to feed on them? It's a possibility. But as well as the corpses being missing from the graves... It's said that all the headstones were neatly stacked in piles next to where the bodies should be. Animals would not do that. The story goes that in response to this perplexing and worrying mystery, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police launched an investigation, but they simply couldn't figure out what had happened on that night. Where were the living from the village? And where were the dead? And what did it have to do with this unearthly light? in the sky. 
story of Lake Anjakuni has fascinated and baffled people for decades and has become a popular mainstay of Canadian mystery lore. But there are those who claim that this incident simply never happened. Certainly tracking the original sources of this account is not easy. Some believers point to the newspaper reports from the time that verify that an empty village was found that night, like the Halifax Herald newspaper and possibly the Danville Bee paper, who reported on this incident that very winter in 1930. The journalist who wrote this piece was called Emmett Kelleher. Yet the story really hit the public consciousness in 1959 when Frank Edwards shared this account in his nonfiction book, Stranger Than Science. Remember this detail, because later we'll need it. Frank Edwards' Stranger Than Science book, 1959. Well, the story took an otherworldly turn in 1976 when Fate magazine ran an article called The Vanished Village Revisited, and this prompted a reader called Betty Hill to get in touch. Now, Hill was famous in the world of the unexplained because she, along with her husband, Barney Hill, was subject to the first widely publicized report into alien abduction in the USA. And we need to take a moment to ponder the Hill's seriously freaky experience now in light of Lake Njikuni. On the 19th of September 1961, Betty and Barney Hill were driving when they saw a white light in the sky. And the car started to shake, and the hills fell into a dreamlike state. They woke up 35 miles down the road, but when they looked at the time, they realized it had taken them two hours longer than it should have to get to that point. In the weeks ahead, Barney tried to forget this bizarre incident. But Betty couldn't get away from the experience. She was plagued with terrifying nightmares of weird beings, five foot tall, carrying out medical tests on them both, including the sliding of a needle into her abdomen. On the night of that incident, Barney was worried that his genitals were hurting, but he tried to forget about that too. But then, a few months after it happened, Barney developed a growth in his groin that had to be surgically removed. The couple were eventually put under hypnosis, and the thought was that if they were lying or making this up, they would reveal this under hypnosis. But actually, they confirmed the bizarre details of that night, and new factors emerged. For example, under hypnosis, they said that a being took a sperm sample from Barry, all during that two-hour blackout. Now, you can call this account crazy and dumb, or compelling and intriguing, but the Hill story was the very first classic alien abduction case to be well-known in the U.S., and it became the subject of a book in 1966 called The Interrupted Journey, Two Lost Hours Aboard a Flying Saucer. Their story would go on to be replicated in hundreds of other reports since of people who have claimed to have been somehow abducted by inhuman creatures. I have met some of these people, and they have told me what happened to them. Well, in 1969, Barney Hill died of a brain hemorrhage, but Betty lived on, and so, in 1976, she was alive to read that Fate magazine article about the vanishing village of Anjakuni. And so she wrote in and said that when Barney was alive, they had both met 
one of the Royal Mounties, who said that he had spent on and off close to nine years investigating the Anjakuni Lake mystery. And according to her, she said that this Mountie was convinced that the villagers had been abducted by similar alien creatures to the one that experimented on the hills. Now, skeptics believe that it was actually this letter from Hill that first introduced the whole element of lights into this story at all. But others believe that the authorities have actually mounted a cover-up and that there really was a mass alien abduction in the icy wastelands of Canada in 1930. What really happened in Anjakuni Lake is hard to tell, and it is true that the story has become exaggerated over time. For example, in the book The World's Greatest UFO Mysteries by Bohr and Blundell, they said that the village had 1,200 residents, all of which were missing. But just because an account becomes elaborate and embellished over time does not mean that there was no actual mystery to start it off in the first place. For example, some versions of the account say that only one of the graves was emptied of his body, which admittedly is less creepy than all of them. But even that would have been a severe taboo in the Inuit people's culture, to remove one body from the grave. And so why was it not there? Even the way the Royal Canadian Mounted Police have responded to this tale is a little odd in itself. You will find lots of UFO books or the YouTube videos and podcasts on this case that will falsely claim that the Mounties are still investigating this mass vanishing even today. It's not true. Well, not officially anyway. I looked into what the actual Mounties say on this case, and they actually claim to have no record of this event. In fact, I just checked their website just a moment before this, and the RCMP still continue to officially claim that Frank Edwards made all this up. Remember him from earlier? He's the one who first shared the case with the world in his 1959 book, Stranger Than Science. But despite what the Mounties website says today, there's a problem. How could Edwards have made all of this up in 1959 when the Halifax Herald and possibly the Danville Bee, reported it in 1930. So was it really aliens that snatched an entire village of both the living and the dead? Or did it have something to do with Eskimo folklore? The evil Torn Rock, for example, a malicious supernatural being that was said to appear in animal form. Of course, we don't know what happened in that village back on that icy winter night of 1930. And yes, from the reports on this case, we have seen examples of exaggeration or even fabrication, like saying there were up to 2,000 villages. But okay, let's just say there were only 25 to 30 villages who vanished rather than thousands. And let's just say there was only one empty grave rather than all of them. It still begs the question, where did those 30 people go? And who took that one single body? And why? We don't know, and it remains a tantalizing mystery that thrills us and even entertains us today. But if it really did happen, then there is nothing thrilling or entertaining for those villagers who encountered something that night that swept into or over their icy village and snatched them so that they faded as quickly as a snowflake might fade under a bright, hot orange light. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.